You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Hey, if you're new to Rev Church, what we like to do about 90% of the time, I say this before every sermon I preach, is we like to preach verse by verse uh, through books of the Bible or large passages of Scripture. Uh, We think that's the best way corporately to study Scripture together and individually, and it keeps us from doing a couple different things. Number one, we don't abuse certain subjects that we would stand on a soapbox on. And secondly, we don't avoid certain subjects because when we land on it in Scripture, that's when we deal with it. Today, we're in week number four of a series where we're going verse by verse through the entire book of Ephesians. And I don't know about y'all, but this series has been amazing. Amen, y'all? Like, what an incredible, incredible series. And today is going to be no different as we're going to be in chapter 2 of Ephesians. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 22. Today's message, or really today's scripture, is really a message that is so important not just for our church, but for our world as a whole. I've noticed that one of the things that is most concerning to most people in the world today is the issue of division. The issue of division. I'm sure that it's always been divided, as I'll go through a history lesson here in a minute, but Really, especially since the invention of social media, it seems like anytime there is an issue that people run to a certain side, and not only do they stand on what they believe, but they hate the people that are on the other side. Really, this is no different than the history of mankind, whether you're talking about in Northern Ireland, where the Catholics and the Protestants have warred against each other for years. Uh, In the Middle East, there's uh, Shia Muslims and Sunni Muslims that have fought and hated each other for years. And right now, uh, we're seeing the Arabs and Israelis uh, fight against each other. And everybody needs to be praying for Israel. Amen, y'all. So it's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. Everything we're seeing right now totally lines up in Scripture. But that's a different sermon for a different time. We see this division take place. In Australia, there's the Australians, and then there's the Aborigines, which are the native Australians, and they seem to have this tension, and they hate each other. In the United States, we had a civil war, and I dare say, as I'm kind of leading into, now is one of, if not the most divided time in America for several different reasons. Well, when Paul penned the book of Ephesians, it was no different. In Jesus' time, it was no different. Romans looked down on anyone who wasn't a Roman. Greeks looked down on anyone that wasn't a Greek. In fact, the Greeks created a word to describe people that weren't Greeks. And they were barbarians. Everybody say barbarians. That's That's a word that was made up to describe somebody that was not Greek. Well, as you're going to see today... The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, also looked down on people who were not Jews. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to verse 11 and uh, go verse by verse through this like we always do. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Paul starts it out like this. Therefore, which connects it previously to the previous passage. This, again, just a little side note. Anytime you see therefore, it connects it. Remember, the epistles and most scriptures were meant to be read all through together. This is why we go through books of the Bible. Because last week's sermon ties directly to this week's. Therefore, remember that formerly 
you who are Gentiles, everybody say Gentile, Gentile by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in, to, in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In these first three verses, Paul is talking about the separation of the Jewish people and the Gentile people. It's interesting, last week we took a look at these first 11 verses in Ephesians and we talked about uh, what we were, what we are now, and what we will be. And really, you see a very similar format here as it pertains to the Gentiles, the non-Hebrew people. Paul's referring to the fact that there were really two groups, two very prominent groups that were in the church because remember Ephesians is written to the church. It's written to a group of Christians. And one group was the Jews, which were also referred to as the nation of Israel, which were also referred to as God's chosen people. The other group were the Gentiles, which basically summarized everyone else that was not born a Hebrew or born Jewish. They were also referred to as pagans. So you have God's chosen people and pagans that are making up the church, and there was all kinds of tension. Paul uses some descriptors with the Gentiles. If we go verse by verse through this, we see that he, he describes them in five different ways. First, he says, you Gentiles, which by the way, unless you're of pure Hebrew birth in here, you are a Gentile. Look at your neighbor and say, what's up, Gentile? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Remember last week, uh, you formerly were a pagan. Okay, so look at your neighbor. No, I don't do that, okay. Number one, he says you're separated from Christ. What he's speaking to is the fact that only the Jewish people anticipated the coming Messiah. The idea of a Messiah coming to save the world was completely lost on the Gentiles. He says, number two, you're excluded from citizenship. In other words, the Gentiles, in a sense, were spiritually homeless. They had no place to call home. Thirdly, he says, you're foreigners. And what that means is, you have no real friends. Or in other words, you have no one to turn to, especially a God that you can count on. And then fourthly, he says, you are without hope, Gentiles. So they've got no Savior. They've got no home. They have no promises. So as a result, the Gentiles had no meaningful future. And then he summarizes it all when he says, you Gentiles... You're without God, without God. What Paul is referring to there is Gentiles had a plethora of gods that they worshipped. Actually, in the city of Ephesus, there were so many different gods that were worshipped. And what he's saying is, before you came to know Christ, Gentile Christians, none of those gods could save you because every single one of them were false. Now, similar to what we went through last week when we talked about what we were and what we are now, we then see Paul use a phrase in the last verse of these first three verses in verse 13 when he starts out the verse with, but now, 
but now. Everybody say, but now with me. One, two, three. But now. If you remember last week, the name of the sermon was, but God. The two words that encapsulate the gospel. If you grab a hold of these words, you'll understand the good news of the gospel. Well, here we see really the same phrase, but said just a hair different. And it's the name of the sermon today, which is, but now. But now, Christ Jesus brought the Gentiles near. This is groundbreaking, especially at the time that this was written. Because what Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, but now proves that no matter how hopeless you are, no matter how helpless you are, you can approach Jesus through faith. No matter what your past is, no matter where you come from, no matter what your history is, no matter where you stand now, no matter what you are, whoever you are, whatever you've done, through faith, remember last week, you can accept the grace of God. But now is a strong phrase. You get this idea all through the book of Ephesians. You were once Christless, but now you're in Christ Jesus. You were once foreigners, but now you are full citizens. You were once friendless, but now you are members of God's family. You were once hopeless, but now you are promised an incredible future. You were once godless, but now we call God our Father. The idea is, hey Gentiles, you were out, but now you're in. You were separated, but now you're integrated. You were foreigners, but now you're part of the family of God. Good news. Amen, Rev Church. We're all part of the family of God. If you're sitting in here right now, you've put your trust in Christ, you've surrendered everything for, to Him, you are part of the family of God. And that's going to become even more clear as we go through this. So find somebody around you and say, what's up, fam? Let's continue. Let's continue. Verse 14. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Continues and says, For he himself is our peace. Hold on to that word peace. We're going to come to it at the very end of the sermon. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Man, incredibly deep doctrinal and theological stuff there. Remember we talked about the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters is theology and doctrine, the last three chapters is the application of that doctrine. And reading that, you can get a little confused, but here's the gist. Paul now is speaking to the unity that we have. The unity that we have in Christ. Number one, Paul's talking about a spiritual wall that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews, of course, followed the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. They were the Hebrews people. They were God's chosen people. And so, 
There was differences between the Hebrew people and the Jewish people in the Old Testament and the Gentiles and the pagans. Physically, they were different. Their actions were different. There was a sacrificial system that the Jewish people followed. There was a law that they followed. But as one theologian puts it, here's what he says. He summarizes it very well. He says, the spiritual law was meant to preserve God's Jewish people from moral and spiritual corruption as they represented God before the nations. It quickly became a divider that alienated Gentiles who were meant to receive God's blessing through the Jewish nation. So Christ comes and he tears this wall down. Christ comes and also comes and destroys the literal wall of separation that there was in the temple. Paul is very aware that in the temple where the Jewish people would worship, there was what's called the court of Gentiles, which Gentiles could go into, and then there was the inner courts of the temple that the Gentiles were banned from. In fact, there was a sign that hung on the temple. Think that like in our lobby, we let certain people in, but they can't come in the sanctuary, you know? Well, right before you entered uh, the inner courts of the temple, there was a sign that read this. Listen to this. This is how divided they were. No foreigner, remember? Remember, remember what Paul called them? He called them foreigners. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Christ brings unity, years of judgment, years of hate, years of animosity, years of dislike, years of hostility, years of hatred were wiped away by the unity that Christ brings. The idea that Paul is unpacking here is through the Holy Spirit, Every believer shares a common unity within each other. We all have the exact same Holy Spirit living in us. Whether you're Jew or you're Gentile. Hey, whether you're male or you're female. Whether you're white or you're black or you're Asian or you're Hispanic. Whether you're rich or or you're poor. Whether you're educated or you're uneducated. Whether you're strong or or you are weak. We're united through Christ. Amen, Rev Church. What a good message for the world today. Listen, Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. The racial, on this particular verse in his commentary, the racial, ethnic, political, social, and economic dividers that cause so much conflict in our world fade into insignificance when the Son of God brings spiritual peace. The lesson here is even the most hostile enemies can find unity through Christ. He tore this wall down. Christ also put an end to the law of separation. When it says he set aside the law, the idea is that now Jew, Gentile, whoever is no longer under what's called the old covenant. Or the laws that you find, the over 600 Levitical laws that you find in the Old Testament. All throughout the New Testament, we see this idea. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. In other words, you weren't following the law, but you accepted Jesus and he made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins 
having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus took the law and nailed it to the cross. So now you don't have to follow all those laws. Now, I'm not saying you can sin. That's not what I'm saying. But that's been nailed to the cross as a result of Christ. Romans 10 says it this way in verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes, not follows the law, not doesn't eat bacon, not doesn't wear these kinds of suit, not any of that stuff, who believes. The idea is that now we are under the law of Christ and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like Him and there is no obligation to keep the law. It's made even more clear in the book of Galatians. Listen to Galatians 5.16. And I hope this helps you if maybe you need to be set free of some legalism or you have Christian friends or something like that. You grew up in, in something that taught you that you need to keep the Old Testament law in order to be saved. That's not true. All of our brothers and sisters that keep some of those laws, that's fine if they don't eat bacon. But if they teach you that you have to do that to be saved, that's completely wrong. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, not by the law, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will, what church? Fulfill the law of Christ. The idea is unity. Unity, not division through the law anymore. See, Jesus, He didn't come to Greekify the Jews or Jewify the Greeks. He came to set the captives free and make people Christians. I love the language. To form a new humanity out of the two. I don't even know what you would call if he combined the Jews and the Greeks and their culture. Maybe Grus or Jeeks or something like that. I have no idea. It's really speaking to identity in Christ, y'all. You know, there's so many things that separate us as human beings. We've touched on some of them already. But I thought of some that they're pretty intense and some that aren't. Next Saturday, the Vols, who they playing, y'all? Georgia Bulldogs. And one of the guys that I love the most, Pastor Brandon. He's our next-gen pastor. One of my favorite guys. I don't even know if he's in here. I don't know if he's in here, but he's a Georgia Bulldog fan. And I pray for him all the time. But Jesus didn't come to make Brandon and I bull balls or <laughs> ball dogs. Y'all know what I'm saying? He came to make us followers of Christ. Politics divides us so much today. Let's just call a spade a spade. Let's be real about it. In the church, it even is a major divider. Republicans, Democrats. You know, we got Republicans and Democrats that come to our church. And here's what you need to hear. 2024 is coming up, right? You need to know, hey, I believe you should vote. I think it's great that we get to vote, okay? I'm not saying that. Don't go from A to Z on me. But Jesus didn't come to make Republicans or Demopublicans. Y'all know what I'm saying? And I think some Christians think He did. No, He came to make us followers of Christ. 
here at Rev Church, you know, Crossville's an interesting place. We talk about it all the time. We've got a lot of people that are from Cross Vegas, right? From here. We're Southerners. We're good old boys. We're rednecks. We're hillbillies. Amen, y'all. Where are my hillbillies at? Come on, y'all. We're proud of it. But then ever since COVID especially, our church has exploded in growth from people from California, Illinois, New York. We got, we got for lack of a better way of putting it, not to be offensive, but we got all these Yankees coming. Y'all know what I'm saying? And we are so glad you're here and we love you. I didn't know how to combine Yankees with rednecks. So I asked ChatGPT this week, um, make a word that combines, and this is the word it gave me, yankernacker. I don't know what. It's like, here's how you combine those words. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, what's up, yankernacker? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Jesus didn't come to make yankernackers. Y'all know what I'm saying? Jesus came to make us Christians. Richard Koken says this in his commentary. Jesus made a new humanity out of the two. Christ has united the two most deeply separated categories of humanity in world history into one entirely new people. Jesus changed everything. The early church was an eclectic mix of all different kinds of people. Jews and Greeks and slaves and masters. Read through the New Testament. Slaves and masters sitting on the front row together, worshiping Jesus, Hebrews, Romans, and, 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 and it goes on. The ands go on and on and on. And make no mistake, the church did not get together just to celebrate different cultures. No, what Jesus did, he eliminated the boundaries that separated and made something new to unify. Heard one preacher say this. Maybe this will make more sense. There's lots of different nuts in the Lord's fruitcake. Y'all know what I'm saying? So if you're at church looking for somebody that looks like you and acts like you and thinks like you and believes like you and votes like you and does everything just like you, Rev Church ain't going to be the one for you. In fact, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 9, it gives us a hint as to what heaven's going to look like. And we believe that the church really has an obligation and a duty to bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. But it tells us that we're going to be singing together. Listen to what it says. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy. Worshiping Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You want everybody to look like you? You're going to hate heaven, bro. You're going to get up there and be like, dang it! There's Democrats up here! Y'all know what I'm saying? It's unity. Let's close this passage down. Verse 17, y'all still with me? Say, I am. Continues and says, He came and preached peace. Everybody say peace, peace. Four different times the word peace is used in this passage. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Lastly, I believe there's so many, so many things you could point out in this passage. It's so rich theologically, but for time's sake, I think we need to hit on the large, large ones. And I think that Paul is trying to get through that the process is there is separation because we live in a fallen world. Remember what we talked about last week? The world, the devil, the flesh. But Christ brings unity to us. And from unity, peace is birthed. That's where peace comes from. Listen to what he says about peace in verse 14. Just a reminder, it says, He Himself is our peace. In verse 15, He is making peace. In verse 17, He came and preached peace. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, God made it possible for all people to live at peace individually and corporately with one another. I don't know about y'all, but I think our world could use a little more peace. And I don't know about y'all, but I've never met an individual that says, I got too much peace in my life, man. I wish things would just go wrong and go crazy. I don't understand. Anybody in here use a little more peace? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Remember how I said this is really speaking also to the identity we have? What this is saying is, you got to understand the only way you're going to get peace is through Christ. It does not come from your circumstances. It does not come from your relationships. It does not come from your career. It does not come from your church. Peace only comes from your identification and relationship with Jesus Christ. I tell you, man, I've learned a lot of lessons this year. We, we planted this church uh, ten and a half years ago, and it's been a wild ride, and it's been incredible. And one of the greatest joys in my life is that God allows me to be the pastor of Revolution Church, and I absolutely love it. And this year, we've seen God do some miracles, and we've seen Him give us a movie theater that we're able to do church in, and the story is just absolutely crazy, but... Can I tell y'all, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be real. This year, one of the lessons that God has taught me as the pastor of this church is my peace cannot come from this church. It can't come from I'm the pastor of Revolution Church. I know when many people see me, they identify me as Revolution Church, but that's not true. I'm not Revolution Church. Revolution Church and the churches in general, that's Jesus' bride. I'm not identified as that. We are the church together, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the gathering. And no matter how good it is, my peace does not come from being the pastor of a church. No matter how bad it is, my peace does not come from being the pastor of a church. Y'all hearing me? It's crazy. I've learned like if you do that, you're never going to have peace. 
I don't know if I should share this or not. I think I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Y'all don't have to answer the emails, uh-huh. Do it, do it! Share it as tactfully as I can. I love being the pastor of the church, and I love every single one of you guys. I got into ministry because of people, because I love people, right? And just in the last month, God has hammered this home with me. And 99.99999% one of you guys, ever since we've moved into this building, you've been so positive. You can't believe what God's doing. You're so happy. You're so overwhelmed by God's grace and His mercy on our church and what He's blessed us with and how awesome it's been. And man, that's incredible. And can I give you all a hint that are like that? Will you tell your leaders and the staff how awesome it is here? Can you do that? Can y'all do if you if you'll do that, say amen, okay? Y'all just let them know. Let them know, man. You guys are killing it. You're crushing it. Because, and this is why I can't get my peace from the church. Because there is a point zero 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 one percent of people, even in the church, even at Revolution, that I don't know how to say this other than man, I, I just don't think you're gonna be happy no matter what happens. I mean, Lordy, help. I hope I'm mashing on some toes right now. Just let me be your pastor for a minute. Man, I think, I think there's some people in the world that like, if you gave them a million dollars and gifted it to them, they'd be mad because you gave it to them in $100 bills instead of $500 bills. Y'all know what I'm saying? Gee whiz, man. The point is, my peace can't come from being a pastor and from y'all. One of the greatest joys in my life. My peace can't come from being married to my wife that I love dearly. We've been married almost 24 years. My peace comes from Christ. And if you're counting on something else to give you peace, you're going to be missing out. You're going to be missing out couple of quotes. Dwight Moody once said this, the great preacher, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that, that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. John MacArthur, I don't agree with everything he preaches, but this is a really good quote. He says this, God can work peace through us only if he has worked peace in us. Those who are in the best of circumstances but without God can never find peace. But those in the worst of circumstances but with God need never lack peace. Does everybody in here know the song Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, right? My chains are gone. There's different versions of it, but the gist of it is the same. Anytime Brooke can't decide what to sing and she comes to me and asks for my opinion, the first thing I always tell her is, sing Amazing Grace. Everybody knows it. Everybody sings it because they know it. It's a song that everybody, even if you're in here and you're lost, you haven't been to church in forever, maybe you've never been to church, you probably know at least the chorus to Amazing Grace. Well, the man that wrote Amazing Grace is a man named John Newton. John Newton, before he got saved, by his own admission, was a racist that hated certain people. And then after he gets saved... He writes one of, if not the most popular song in Christianity today. Amazing Grace. This 
passage can be summarized, and really chapter 2 can be summarized, because I don't know if you notice, it's kind of along the same lines as last week, what we were, what we are, what we will be. Really, last week could be argued that it was for the Hebrew Christians. This week is for the Gentile Christians. But John Newton, what he said on his deathbed really summarizes chapter 2. He said this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Amen. Rev Church, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that's here. Thank you that we are not people without hope. We are not like the world. We have unity through Christ. Because of your son's death on a cross, there is something incomprehensible that takes place in churches just like ours every Sunday morning and outside of Sunday morning throughout the week. And that is, we are family. We've been adopted into your family. You are our father, and we have unity as a result. God, help us to walk in unity. Help our church not to get divided over the things that the enemy sends our way, the temptations that he puts in front of us. Help us to remember what it's all about and that it's all about Jesus. God, I pray for peace for the people that are under the sound of my voice. I'm very sure that under the sound of my voice, there are people that showed up to church this weekend begging you to speak to them not knowing what decision to make, in turmoil, in mourning, hurting and not knowing what to do. But I pray that Ephesians chapter 2 has given them the answer that the only way to find peace is through Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.